Hello, I'm Drew Cat, Ed Choices Director of State Research and Policy Analysis. And today, I'm in the studio to introduce our listeners to three researchers to watch. I'm here with Frederick Anderson and Christian Berger, both assistant professors and researchers at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. As we like to say here at home, IUPUI, which is also where I went to grad school. And Mike Ford, assistant professor and researcher at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So our listeners can gauge whose voice is whose. Would you each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what attracted you to issues in K-12 education and school choice? Hey, this is Christian. Um, what attracted me to, to research and education? So I grew, grew up in East Germany uh, when I was 11 years old. Uh, the wall came down, the reunification happened, and I was exposed to a choice system which I used. And um, I think it was the, maybe the best decision of my life, ending up getting a PhD in the US, being now here professor at, at SPI APY. But I also could see that um, the students that were in my initial class didn't even get a high school degree. So out of 20, there were only three students, including me, to get a high school degree. So I was always puzzled um, what makes school choice so valuable for some, and but not for others. That really draw me into uh, school choice research thing. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Uh, this is Frederick. Um, so uh, I'm probably the odd fellow out among the group that were here because uh, my background is really not so much in education research as it is in organization and entrepreneurship research. And I think what really attracted me, I mean, and part of it, I can, I can uh, say it's Mike Ford that sort of dragged me into this. So uh, I will blame him. Um, but also because I think K-12 education, what is happening here um, and also in my native Sweden, is that sort of school choice is trying to do something uh, new and innovative and how that is sort of impacting an entire sector, which is something that, that attracts me no matter what sector it is. But just education uh, as such, therefore, you know, was very attractive to me as a way of sort of studying, uh, studying entrepreneurship and innovation, um, new market entry and so on. Uh, this is Mike Ford here. Um, I worked from 2004 to about 2013 in uh, advocacy um, related to K-12 education in Wisconsin. So I got to see you know, the school choice issues firsthand, and I was attracted to them and want to keep studying them. Yeah, that's all awesome. You all have a very different backgrounds, and it's, and it's great to bring you all into the studio today. So would any of you all like to talk about some of the research that you have done or are currently doing? Uh, related to K-12 education and school choice, whether that be private school choice or uh, charter schools? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is Mike here. Um, so some of the work that Frederick and I are, are working on is trying to explore choice programs using the school itself as the unit of analysis. So we care a lot about the supply side, what leads to the creation of new schools participating in voucher programs, and what makes those schools ultimately successful uh, once they are participating in a private school choice program. So issues of governance, issue of school turnover, issues of human capital. Um, these are all things we're looking at, uh, both in Milwaukee, but uh, in other programs here in Indiana as well. Yeah, that's great. And what about you, Christian? So um, I have different projects. I, uh, one of my biggest focus is uh, child school finance. So one project right now uh, that, that I'm working on and finished is child schools can affect the spending in traditional schools basically two ways. They can increase or decrease efficiency, but they also can change the cost traditional schools are facing in educating students and bringing them up to a given performance level. So what I found is that they do increase the cost for traditional schools 
in uh, New York State, but they also increase efficiency, and that efficiency is greater than uh, the, the increase in costs. Um, also, uh, just came here from New Orleans, started uh, before I started here at, at SPIA, uh, IUPY, and was looking into uh, how spending changed in New Orleans after the reforms we saw there, sort of almost all traditional schools in New Orleans were replaced with charter schools. And I find that uh, these, the district now, the entire district, including the authorizer, spends more for education, spends a lot more for administration, uh, spends less for, for instruction, which is, for, for some people, a surprise. Uh, the changes in instruction, our spending for instruction, were driven by uh, decreases in benefits. So a lot of the charter schools uh, do not participate in the state pension system anymore. On the administrative side, we can see that um, schools uh, so outsource a lot more of their services, uh, but also pay the administrators more, but also need more administrators, mm. um, which can be maybe attributed to different things. But uh, it is very likely that a decentralized school district uh, loses some of the economies of scale. And that is also very likely that um, salaries are higher now. It can be for different reasons. Uh, some people argue. It is because uh, people use autonomy also to increase their salaries, but um, we also know that uh, the administrators now know odds are very different from the ones we had before there, and um, they'll most likely ask for a higher salary because, for instance, they come from, from the private sector. Hmm. Which would, of course, make sense is, um, you know, people do what they are accustomed to in a lot of uh, areas. So it's interesting that um, you all attack this issue of researching uh, school choice in K-12 education from uh, very different avenues and through very different lenses. So if there were ever in a you know, dream world of the three of you collaborating on a single project, given your varied interest areas, what, what would that potentially look like? Oh, wow. Okay. Should I take a stab at this at first? Well, I think that that what we what we all agree on and and what we all ultimately would be interested in understanding is that it's never going to be possible to understand why something is more successful or more efficient, uh, more impactful, whatever um, sort of terminology you want to use, unless you have the ability to sort of to study uh, both internal and external factors over time and uh, and one of the uh, one of the challenges that we always have as researchers is that you know we are often being asked to publish uh, you know I mean a certain certain number of things per year. So we tend to sort of we study things that we can that we can get into the pipeline. But creating something that would uh, allow us to look over how things evolve over you know maybe 10, 20, 30 years, uh, uh, looking at the different aspects that we're interested in. You know why do people start new schools? Why are some startup schools more successful than others? What happens in terms of their internal structure vis-a-vis um, uh, uh, -vis what's happening with the sort of policy environment around them? And how does all these things impact the overall performance, uh, you know, not only of the school, but, you know, of a school district? All of those things will take enormous time to study. And, and I think if there were be a dream project, it would be that maybe we could speed up time so we can get that data set, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know tomorrow. Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, down the line, I, I think that's personally what I would hoping that, that sort of the collaboration that we're, that we engaged in right now is actually going to result in. Yeah. And something that we uh, were all talking about earlier today was issues with getting the data in the first place. Um, can each of you maybe speak on, um, something 
positive or negative with data collection or maybe lessons learned for those out there in the podcast sphere that have not done their own uh, request for data from a state DOE or the U.S. DOE or a government agency or anything like that? Yeah, I'd say, and this is Mike here, I'd say that definitely be comfortable working with government documents, be capable at quickly navigating things like like budgetary reports, because um, oftentimes the type of data that is going to be available is not going to be in the form um, that you want it. So oftentimes there's nothing, there's nothing that can replace basically hard work and man hours um, to assemble data sets. Uh, in a dream world, we would actually have these data sets assembled in a usable way uh, by the entity to which they're being uh, reported. And I'm, I'm not trying to be critical there. There's reasons that they're not. But I think that um, every city, especially every city that has a mature uh, choice, um, it doesn't even have to be mature, but any type of operating choice uh, market should have some type of centralized uh, data entity that can be used both for accountability purposes, but more importantly for management purposes, because it's a whole different thing to say we're going to look at data after the fact and use it for accountability. But to actually be able to give practitioners like teachers, principals, real-time analytic data um, to guide decision-making, to me that would be a very uh, powerful thing. So that's a long way of saying that it's a pain uh, to gather data, especially when you're dealing with entities that kind of bridge that private versus public um, line. Um, but I hope we're getting more and more sophisticated and uh, getting those out into the open so they can be used. Yeah. I just, I just want to add something to that. I think that uh, in Indiana, there's actually a lot of data available, but it is when you, when you start and when you know, uh, it's difficult to find. So I think what you have to do, you have to invest time yourself before you arrest other people just to get yourself, um, you know, the knowledge, what is out there, what can I use? And then the other thing with data is always, I think the most important thing is really like what you're interested in, what do you think is important, what do we need to know? And that's always the first questions. And then when you have created these questions and you know that they are important not only for yourself, for some academic reason, but really for, for, for Indianapolis, for Indiana, for the, for the entire community, then we'd say, okay, if you have that, write it down and try to get the data. And so far... I've been in touch with several people at the state, for instance, that have been all very nice, but um, it's also it's just a lot of work for them. So we also have to have to be cautious that um, we're adding another burden mm. to, to what they're already carrying, and um, we want, want to be a little bit careful about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what I would add is, don't, you know, we, sometimes we often rely on that data should already be existing somewhere, you know, from some agency somewhere. But in, in you know, more and more, as is with, many other academic disciplines, you know, if the data is not there, it might be up to you to actually go out and collect it, you know, I mean, and, and there's various ways you can do this, you know, surveys and, and, and so on. And when as someone who has done that uh, in previous research quite a bit, one of the sort of tips that I would have is there is um, one of the problems typically one have when you send out a survey is that you send it out to a thousand people and you get 10 responses. Okay, that is just a one way of often mitigating that is to be uh, find ways and be willing to work with organizations that are actually out there and and let them sort of be partnering with you when you go out and actually try and collect that data. Um, those things, you know, they bring legitimacy to what it is that you're doing. They bring trust to uh, when you can have someone who backs you up and saying that this person is actually doing this for, 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 for a good purpose or for X, Y, and Z reason. And um, so, you know, I don't think one should one should hesitate to try and, and engage in those types of data gathering projects, even though, again, to go back to my earlier comment, it, again, that's something that takes time 
it, it is something that is that takes quite a lot of resources. But but if it's not there, uh, you know, don't sit around and wait for it to come. I mean, it's it's probably up to to you to go out and actually do it. Yeah, and I think that was uh, part of the impetus behind why EdChoice started conducting surveys of private schools uh, to kind of gather some of that information that isn't being necessarily gathered by other organizations or individuals. Uh, so two final questions. First, why should someone be interested in school choice research? And the second, what's your favorite part about being a professor? Uh, Christian, you want to go first? I have to start again. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, favorite part about being a professor, um, there's obviously almost a lifestyle attached to being a professor that I like. So I like um, what makes me happy, two things. Learning is one of them. The other thing is uh, I like like these little problems that you always have in research, and I like to solve them. And that that's kind of keeps me motivated, you know, almost endlessly. That is um, that is great, and as I think uh, being a professor is also one of the few opportunities you can do research that you think is important because you don't need any grant money because you already got a salary, and um, so you can do the research that you think or the, the group of people you're with is important. And uh, last but definitely not least is um, I, I do like teaching as well because it keeps you on your toes. You know, if you're just in a in your in your cave. For, for an entire year, and you, it, it's kind of boring. So, But if you start teaching students, you have to explain your research, you have to think about it, they have questions, and that keeps you on your toes, it keeps you, keeps you fresh. Yeah. Is that an answer? No, that is, Suffice. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, what about other people? Well, I can say, first off, why school choice research? I, there's all kinds of cool reasons to pay attention to school choice research, but the fact is more and more students are getting an education through these programs, and... To ignore that fact and to not study it is to basically say we don't care about how it's going, uh, what those outcomes are going to be. So that's why you need to be paying attention to this if you care about uh, educational outcomes in the United States. Um, in terms of being a professor, well, I'm a public administration professor, so maybe I'm a little different than these two. Um, I'm always telling my students that we all give up uh, treasure and freedom to be part of a governed society. And for me to be able to get up every morning and go study that process and understand exactly how everybody's money and everybody's freedom is being distributed in an equitable way that's kind of maximizing outcomes um, is a pretty fun thing to do, pretty monumental task, and um, that motivates me every day. I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I I would say ditto to everything that's been said. Um, uh, in particular, when when it comes to you know what it what it's good to be a professor, the fact that you get the the autonomy to sort of to study things the way you do, I, I think is a, I think it's great. Also, the, um, you know, the opportunity that you have to sort of collaborate with a lot of people, not only sort of within your own university, but, you know, across, across the country, but even, even internationally as well. So, it's, uh, so that, that I think is great. And, and finally, what I also, to, to Christian's point, while it's in, I think it's important for professors sort of to, you know, to try and seek answers to, uh, to wicked or, or intriguing problems, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I really like with being academic too is that you also have a platform where you have the possibility of asking new questions and what questions should actually be asked and why, should, why do we need to study those things. And, uh, and I think school education, um, you know, school choice, um, understanding sort of what works and what doesn't work, um, you know, ought to be something that interests, uh, interests all of us, you know, I mean, because we have, we've all gone through it. We have children. It's something that we're going we're gonna to send our children through at some point. And, and so, yes, one should definitely pay attention to it. Mm, yeah. It's a never stop questioning. 
Yeah. Um, do either of y'all have any forthcoming research you'd like to quickly plug? Well, plenty. I'll say that uh, hopefully soon I'll have an article out looking at uh, charter school governance and trying to understand exactly what tra independent charter school boards can be doing to maximize performance. And the basic finding is that uh, when they're more efficient at addressing um, you know, key problem areas, um, they tend to have better group dynamics and become a more high-functioning board, and that actually translates into academic gains. So I'm excited about that. And I think, and, and this is this is a joint product with uh, with uh, with Mike, um, trying to getting better data. I would say I don't think necessarily what they are, but but more towards answering this question: Why do um, some um, schools, startup schools, new schools that start up, why do they uh, uh, sort of uh, success, uh, you know, uh, succeed and survive when others under sil similar circumstances and with similar goals do not? Uh, I think we we are sort of approaching. Um, uh, you know, a way where we can start providing some more definite answers to that by looking at both sort of successes and failures over a long period of time. Yeah, I'm hoping to have soon some research on Indiana, Indianapolis. Um, I just moved here in August. Uh, we like it a lot. And so, you know, that the hope is then that, that my research will contribute also to make better decisions here, to understand the system better, and, and help parents educators also to to improve education in, in, in the state here that that I've chosen to, to be my home yeah yeah, yeah that's amazing um, we're definitely uh, all excited to have you here and looking forward to uh, seeing that research in the future well thank you so much for sharing some time with us today and to our listeners be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of new school choice research education reform policy chats and more Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon for more EdChoice Chats.